cost of forgiveness. Um, I think this is, I think this is a very timely message for us right now. I think this is important for us to graduate and move on to the next thing that Christ has for us. Because um, in our relationship with God, if we're just staying the same, if we're stagnant, if nothing around us is changing, we're not growing. The stuff around us should be changing. Then we have to start making adjustments. And so the adjustments we have to make, so obviously me as the director, I have to make adjustments, but each one of you guys still have to look at and pray about making adjustments. And so while I was praying for the last week and a half about what I wanted to share this week, I really just felt like forgiveness was what I needed to talk about. I love sharing about forgiveness because um, I have been on a long, long journey of forgiveness and I'm still on a journey of forgiveness, but it has been a very fruitful journey. And I can say that I am so much better off now than I used to be because I have forgiven. I've been walking through forgiveness. And so when I was nine years old, I was riding my bike up and down the street and, uh, my mom had this rule that as long as I stayed on the, the same side of the street, that I could go up and down the street as long as I stayed on that side. And her reasoning was when she would come home from work, she would drive that street so then she could keep an eye out for me. And that way, if I wasn't home, she would have already seen me. And so I was about two blocks away from my house on the same side of the block or same street as I lived on. And uh, I went to go see if one of my friends was home. And I pulled up to his house and his older brothers were standing outside. And I was like, hey, is my friend here? And uh, they're like, no, he's inside sleeping. I'm, we're not going to go wake him up. I was like, okay, no worries. I'll come back in like an hour. And one of his older brothers stopped me. And he's like, hey, I noticed the chain on your bike is rusted. And I had left my bike out in the rain a couple weeks before this. And so my chain was pretty rusted. And he's like, kind of with a weird laugh was like, I can fix that for you. And I was like, nine years old. I was like, cool, yeah, do it. And so I don't know to this day, I have no clue what he did, but all of the rust was gone off my chain. So I was excited. And so I was like, okay, cool. So this thing was kind of rusted and stiff and all of a sudden it was a lot looser. And so I was all excited. So I was riding my bike as fast as I possibly could. And so I decided I'm gonna ride home real quick and uh, I'm gonna wait for a couple hours and then I'm gonna go back and grab my friend. And so I'm riding as fast as I possibly can. And like I said, to this day, I have no clue what they did to my chain, but it snapped and it flipped forward, wrapped around my front tire and instantly stopped my bike. And so like cartoon, cheesy, like overly dramatic style, I went flying over the handlebars, like tossed me, like bucked me like a horse, just tossed me over the handlebars. And I went flying and I landed directly on my my right thumb and so I shattered it in a bunch of places and so like it hurt a lot and so like I got up and I was able to walk my bike back home I pulled the chain out it literally had just wrapped around my front wheel and stayed there and so I just unwrapped it put the chain in my left hand and then just kind of like somehow pushed my bike back home and so I got home and uh, I went up to my mom my mom was a nurse, so keep that in mind. So I walk up to my mom, I'm like, hey mom, I think my, my thumb is broken. And she didn't even look at it. She was just like, it's not broken, go back, go, out, go, uh, go back outside and play. And I was like, no mom, like, I need to go to the hospital, my thumb is broken. And she didn't even look at it. Without skipping a beat, she just says, "If okay, I'll take you to the ER, but if it's not broken, I'm gonna break it. 
we're not going to get into the toxicity that is there saying that to a nine-year-old, but that was my mom's response. And so come to find out I had shattered it in a few different places on the growth plate. I actually needed to be in a cast for a while. Um, and it actually ended up needing surgery in order to fix. So my mom was humbled a little bit in that experience, but that moment changed a lot for me. And like I said, we're not going to get into the toxicity that is in that moment, but it did change a lot for me. For me as a nine-year-old, you know, my mom, the way that she responded caused me to react different to my mom from then on out. I felt like I had to prove things to her more. At the same time, that moment jacked up because I now no longer trusted older people, uh, older siblings of my friends, anything like that, because I'm pretty sure looking back still to this day that they did something to mess with my chain. I'm guessing he just un unpinched it or whatever. And so that it would snap loose. And so I lost some trust and it affected me and it wasn't a big deal. That isn't a, a huge traumatic event. And I'm not trying to play it off as though it was this huge traumatic event, but it still was a moment where there was unforgiveness. I still harbored unforgiveness for a long time for that. And so fast forward a few years later, I'm in my sophomore year of high school and I'm at a wrestling tournament and the gym we're at is the crank is, or the heat is just cranked way too high, like way too high. And when the heat is too high on a wrestling mat, the wrestling mat gets mushy. It's hard to really like move around on it. It's just like, it just absorbs your body, just kind of like a memory foam uh, mattress does. It just starts to absorb your body. Well, and that's what was going on in this gym. And long story short, that same thumb gets caught in the mushiness of the, the mat. And I get pushed forward and my thumb kind of stayed. And so I re-shattered that thumb. And so my dad was the one at the tournament with me and he asked, he's like, Hey, we can go to the ER here or we can head back home um, and get it done at home. What would you rather do? And I told my dad, I was like, no, uh, we need to go home first. And I didn't explain to him why I wanted to go home first, but I was like, I need to go home first. And so he's like, okay, I guess we'll go home. I'll still have to bring you to the ER. And uh, the reason why my dad was so insistent on going to the ER was because my thumb was really broken in which when I would go to bend it, it was turned upside down. And so it was actually bending upwards. And so we knew it was broken. And so my dad was like, why do you want to go home? I was like, I just, I need to go home first. And so I went home. And so what I did was I wanted to go home so that I could show my mom. And I straight up just said, Hey mom, I think my thumb is broken. And she looked at it and she's like, why didn't you take him? She starts yelling at my dad. Why didn't you take him to the ER? And I said, mom, mom, I needed your permission because in case it wasn't broken, I didn't want you to have to break it for me. And so for years, I held on to that unforgiveness of when I was nine years old. So for at a later day in time, I could go to my mom with my newly shattered thumb again and just rub it in her face that she told me that she would break my thumb if it wasn't broken. And so unforgiveness can manifest in a lot of different ways. For me in this instance, it was humorous. Yes, it was hilarious. It was funny. But in reality, the fact that that even happened was because sophomore me in high school was still harboring unforgiveness for my mom in one way or another. And so we can manifest unforgiveness in a lot of different ways. We manifest trauma in a lot of different ways. If you've ever talked to people who have been like um, paramedics in big cities and stuff like that, like 
the way that they have to cope with trauma that they experience and see becomes this kind of weird, dark humor. And it's the way that we process these things. And so unforgiveness is not a healthy thing. But a lot of times we mask it under humor and we mask it under um, uh, jokes and we mask it under these different facades when in reality it's still just undealt with unforgiveness. And so the reason I share that story is because it's not traumatic. If you guys know my past, you know my history, you know that I actually did grow up in a traumatic home. I grew up in an abusive home. And there's a lot of things, a lot of stories that I could share that talk about unforgiveness that are a little more um, dramatic than this story. But the reason I wanted to share this story is because that unforgiveness was masked through humor. And so a lot of times, just because something is masked through uh, humor or masked through kindness or masked through people-pleasing, there can be unforgiveness and there can be trauma that is lying at the bottom of those things. And so walking out forgiveness for me in my life, like I said, I, there's big things and there's little things that I've had to walk out forgiveness. And if I'm being honest, I'm still walking through forgiveness. And my parents are both deceased and I'm still walking through forgiveness for them. Them being gone, them being dead, has not instantly just glazed over and healed those wounds. I'm still walking through and I'm processing forgiveness um, for the way that I was raised. And so that tells me that just because somebody is gone, somebody is deceased, that they let's say they get what is coming for them. And I'm not saying that my parents got what was coming for them, but let's say they do get what was coming for them. It isn't going to heal that forgiveness, that unforgiveness. It's still a process that we have to walk through, whether they're here or not. And so I can say that over the years, the only thing that has really helped me to feel better is walking through forgiveness intentionally. And so what is walking through forgiveness? How do we walk through forgiveness? Um, if you guys want to turn to your Bibles... Um, we are in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. I'm using the NLT translation. Um, I've really started to fall in love with the NLT translation because it's really easy to read. And so I want to recommend that to you guys. If, if the ESV or the NIV or whatever translation you have, you find it a little hard to read, I highly recommend the NLT. But anyway, it starts with verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus said, not seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times seven. Um, that's not a literal number. That's just like, how many times do I forgive somebody? Uh, 487 times. Like, it was just a, a, a phrase, a saying, and it just meant too many to count, basically. So verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debts. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, grabbed him by the throat, and demanded instant payment. 
His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you forgive to refuse or if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The scripture is pretty powerful because in verse 31 we're seeing what the response was to the servant who was unwilling to forgive his servant. And it straight up says, Jesus straight up says, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then in verse 35, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you forgive or if refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's powerful. That's heavy. But really what it comes down to is the whole reason we can forgive, the whole reason the servant could forgive his servant was because his master first forgave him. And so us as Christians, if we look at things from a different perspective, and that's what we've been trying to do the last few weeks, is look at things from both sides, frontwards and backwards. And so if we look at this piece of Scripture in reverse, we can quickly begin to see this picture that's being painted by Jesus in which we fully realize that we can forgive because Jesus first forgave us. The whole reason that the master, the, that the servant could forgive his servant was because his master had forgiven him. If his master had not forgiven him, he would have this debt of millions of dollars and it would become that much more important for him to ensure that his servant who owned him thousands of dollars paid him because his debt would not be able to be paid if it wasn't for the person who owed him paying him. And so since Jesus forgives us, we then can understand the weight of what it means to forgive. We forgive because he first forgave us. Now I want to focus on this for a second. We forgive because Jesus first forgave us. When we hear this, when we read this statement, we hear this and we see this a lot within the church. We forgive because he first forgave us. We love because he first loved us. We hear this statement, and a lot of times we take it at a surface level. So we hear, we can forgive because Jesus first forgave us. And we almost kind of analyze it as though, okay, so Jesus made a conscious effort, and he decided, you know what, I'm sitting on my throne, I'm, I'm God, and uh, I'm going to forgive Matt of his sins. And so then Matt can go, you know what, now that God forgave me of my sins, um, I can forgive Jack of his sins. It seems like a, a, a very A plus B equals C kind of a moment. But I want us to take a second and I want us to stop a little bit and look at what this actually means. We forgive because Christ first forgave us. If we start to look at this a little bit deeper and we start to actually analyze what this says, we can forgive because Jesus first forgave us. But Jesus forgiving us wasn't just some conscious decision that he made from a, 
from a pulpit, from a, from his Lamborghini. He didn't just, you know, decide, oh, I forgive you. Now you can forgive those around you. The decision for Jesus to forgive us cost a tremendous amount. It wasn't just a thought that became action and just happened. No, instead, in order for Jesus to forgive us, He had to descend down from His throne. In order for Jesus to forgive us, He had to stand in the gap for us. In order for Jesus to forgive us, He had to bear the cross on our behalf. And then in order for Jesus to forgive us, He had to know that what we cost Him was to be tortured and murdered on the cross. And in light of that knowledge, He still chose to forgive us. And because He did that, and because of the weight of what that forgiveness cost, we then can forgive. In order for God to forgive you, He first had to send His Son to die on the cross for you. And I can tell you that now being a dad, the weight of me sending my son to die for Donovan, your sins, it's a little bit harder to think about. And so those of you guys that don't have kids, obviously, think of the person you love the most in the world. Close your eyes for a second. Think of the person that you love the most in this world. Could you fathom being the one who decided that that person was going to be tortured on a cross for somebody else's sins? Could you fathom the full weight of you deciding to send that person to die in a horrific crucifixion for Matt's sins? Let's go even more dramatic. Could you fathom sending that person to die for Hitler's sins? Could you imagine sending that person to die for your sins? You guys can open your eyes. The weight of it is a little more impactful when we actually think of the reality of what it cost us. Because so often as Christians, we hear things like, we can forgive because Jesus first forgave us. We've got to find a way to really allow it to be real to us. Because if we don't, our, our Christianity, our faith is going to be lukewarm. If we can't think of the realness, if we can't allow ourselves to feel what the impact of what the Scripture is telling us, if we can't allow ourselves to feel it, we are going to become or we were already are lukewarm Christians. Because lukewarm Christianity is when Christianity is no longer relevant or no longer real to us. Lukewarm Christianity is wanting the benefits without any of the cost. Lukewarm Christianity is wanting our ears to be tickled while not wanting to make any sacrifices in our life in order to grow and improve. And so I want us to feel the weight of this. I want us to, to really fully understand what this means. Jesus first forgave you, and so therefore we can forgive. God consciously sent His Son to die on the cross. Jesus, knowing full well, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, 
I know it's been a couple, it's been a break and you guys probably don't remember what I talked about two weeks ago, but two weeks ago we talked about Jesus dying on the cross. He knew he was going to his death. He knew he was being handed over. He knew he was going to be tortured. And so Jesus consciously went to the cross. He knew what he was doing. It was intentional. He didn't just accidentally end up crucified and was like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this crucifixion and I'm going to use it to forgive people. He knew what he was doing. And so, Jesus knowing he was going to go die on the cross, Jesus knowing what was going to happen to him, and Jesus dying on the cross, here's where it becomes a little more personal. Jesus not only forgives you for your sins, But Jesus forgives you for sending Him to the cross. You sent Him to the cross. I sent Him to the cross. Each one of us alone sent Him to the cross. Not collectively. If it was just my sins, He would have gone on the cross. If it was just Matt's sins, He would have gone on the cross. And so not only does Jesus forgive us for our sins, Jesus also forgives us for sending Him to the cross in the first place. And that right there is what your forgiveness cost in order for Jesus to forgive you. And so if we need further proof of Jesus' forgiveness, we can look at a bunch of different places in Scripture. In Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross and He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As He was looking down from the cross at a scene that we can't even really fathom, He's nailed to the cross. He's dying. And the very people who are responsible for his torture and eventual murder are down below him. As we see in John 19, the Roman soldiers are gambling for his clothing. In Matthew 27, the criminals on both sides of the cross, also being crucified with him, are berating him, mocking him. Matthew 27, the religious leaders are standing below Him, mocking Him. In Matthew 27, the entire crowd was blaspheming Him. And that is the scene that Jesus is looking down on. He's surrounded by the most unworthy people to deserve His forgiveness. And Jesus audibly prayed for them, Father, forgive them. It wasn't just that He went to the cross and He died. No, He forgives us for sending Him to the cross in the first place. Because if He could forgive those people down below Him in that moment, in that scene, that applies to us too. And it is because of that love that Jesus had for even the people who are literally responsible for His murder. In that moment, He prays and says, Father, forgive them. It is because of that. It is because of the weight of what my sins cost. And it is because of the fact that He forgives me for sending Him to the cross in order that I can live without sin. It is because of that that I can forgive my parents. It is because of that that I can forgive those who have hurt me. Because I tell you what, it doesn't matter what people have done to you. They have not sent you to a cross to be crucified. We have done that to Jesus. And he still was willing and forthright with his forgiveness 
And so it doesn't matter what somebody else has done to you. It's not as bad as what you did to Jesus. Because the cost of our forgiveness, even though it is free, what it means for us is that we don't have to endure hell. We don't have to endure the cross, even though we deserved it. Jesus stood in on our behalf. So with that considered, how much more should we offer our forgiveness? And the first response, the first thing that always comes back is, what if they don't deserve it? They don't deserve it. Flat, I guarantee they don't deserve it. Because if they deserved it, it would be called reconciliation. Because we're talking about forgiveness, inherently they don't deserve it. If they wronged you and you were upset, they don't deserve your forgiveness. Yet we freely give because Jesus gave to us. A lot of times it's internal. What if I don't deserve it? Or you got to walk through forgiving yourself too, because if Jesus says that you're worthy of forgiveness, who are you to hold your own sins against yourself? Who are you to hold your own hurts against yourself? And the beauty of all of this is that because we can understand forgiveness on a deeper spiritual, outside of, of conscious thought, outside of rational reasoning, we can understand forgiveness on a spiritual level. And because we can understand forgiveness on a spiritual level, we now, because of what Jesus did for us, we get to walk in freedom. We get to walk in grace. And likewise, because we understand Jesus' forgiveness for us, we can forgive others so that we can continue to walk in that same freedom and that same grace. Because as we begin to harbor unforgiveness, as we begin to hold other people's sins, other people's hurts that they committed against us, as we begin to hold onto those things, we are holding condemnation on our own shoulders. We're carrying burden on our own shoulders. And so to walk in forgiveness is to walk in the full freedom of what Jesus has given us. Because just like this Scripture... I think it is so important for the first servant to forgive the second servant. Because even though the second servant was in debt to the first servant, because of the master, he now was in a place in order to bless somebody else who didn't deserve it. Because the second servant didn't deserve it either. He had accumulated debt. He didn't pay his debt. But because of what the master had given the first servant, which was a clean slate, he now could bestow that blessing onto somebody else who didn't deserve it. But instead, he harbored unforgiveness, he held onto that debt, and that debt ended up costing him long-term. And not only did that debt cost him long-term, it cost the second servant long-term too, because now he's in jail, and he's an indentured servant, and he's in slavery. We have the opportunity, because of Christ's love for us, we have the opportunity to bestow that forgiveness on people who do not deserve it so that they can inherit and they can stand with God in full forgiveness.
that through the blessing that we have received, we can return blessing unto those who don't deserve it. Simply by just doing to others what was done to us. Simply by just forgiving those who don't deserve it, who have hurt us. And I can tell you from experience, having the childhood that I had, growing up the way that I grew up, walking in forgiveness for my childhood feels so much more free than walking in unforgiveness and anger. Even though it's not deserved, it was still paid for. It was paid for on the cross. So those hurts, those wounds, they were already paid for. They were already be held accountable for. But it's a process. And so today, tonight, um, we're not going to do anything super fancy to end the service. We're not going to have an altar call or anything like that. Although walking through forgiveness and talking through this can be huge. We're not going to go into that. I'm just going to ask you, and I'm going to ask everybody, close your eyes. Clear your mind a little bit. Stop thinking about school. Stop thinking about, stop even thinking about the sermon for a second. And in your own words to Jesus, just ask Jesus, Jesus, is there anybody I need to forgive? Somebody came across your heart. Somebody came across your mind. Somebody popped into your brain. Trust the Holy Spirit is actually talking to you and that you actually do need to walk in forgiveness for that person. And so now, for the next 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever, in your own words, ask Jesus to help you forgive that person. Ask Jesus to show you how to forgive that person and acknowledge that you need to forgive that person. And if you don't feel like you can forgive that person, then sit on the prayer of, Jesus, will you help me to forgive this person in the same way that you forgave me? It really can be that simple tonight. Now, the part, the reason why we're not doing an altar call, the reason why we're not going to open up the altar and, and spend some time in worship and in prayer, I think this is important. I want you to hold yourself accountable on this. Because chances are you're not just instantly, oh, I forgive them, I'm good, I can move on with my life. No, you, chances are if somebody came to your mind, you're going to wrestle with forgiveness for them. It might take you a day, it might take you a month, it might take you the next five years. It might be a process that the Holy Spirit has to walk through with you. And so the reason I'm calling for accountability is whoever is mentoring you, whoever is discipling you, whoever is your accountability partner, however, however you are holding yourself accountable, I want you to speak to that person, your mentor, whoever you're meeting, whoever your, your accountability partner is, whoever it is, if it's, or Courtney and I, at your next one-on-one, -on -one, 
speak it out to us. Let us know, hey, I need to walk through forgiveness for this person. Here's why. And ask us to hold you accountable. Accountable. Ask, ask your accountability partner, your, ask your mentor to hold you accountable towards it so that over the next few weeks we can ask you questions and we can help you process through what forgiveness looks like because sometimes forgiveness can open up some weird wounds and sometimes forgiveness can, can heal some awesome things. And I will say that as far as I'm concerned with the guys and as far as Courtney is concerned with the girls, we would love to walk through that process with you so that we can help you, but also so that we can celebrate with you when that weight is lifted. So let's pray together. Lord, Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that the, the full weight of what you did for us would be would be known to us. I know it's hard for us to even really fathom what your forgiveness cost. But Lord, I hope that it, whether or not the full weight of it would fall upon us, because that's not the point. You don't want the weight of that to fall upon us, Lord. However, I do ask that maybe the, the full understanding or, or a bigger picture of the understanding would become more real to us. Lord, I pray that what it costs you to forgive us would be more real today than it has ever been for each and every single one of us in this room. And most importantly, Holy Spirit, I pray that we would funnel that forgiveness into forgiving those who have hurt us, forgiving those who have hurt those people around us, forgiving those who don't deserve it, forgiving those who... Maybe it's not even a big deal, but for some reason we just can't seem to get over it. And we've just been stuck with this unforgiveness for a while. I pray that we could walk through that. And so, Lord, I pray that as we walk in that freedom of forgiveness and we walk in the freedom of, of that burden being lifted off our shoulders, because that's really what you did on the cross for us. You lifted that burden off of our shoulders. And so, Lord, I pray that we could walk in the fullness of that freedom. I pray that we could walk in that fullness of that grace. And Lord, I pray that you could give us a vision as we walk in that freedom and that grace. I pray you could give us a vision of loving our neighbor better, loving those around us better. As we take the shackles off, we're able to move more freely. And that means doing what you created us to do, doing what you have for us within your will. And so, Lord, I pray you could give us a passion and a fire in order to do those things. Lord, we give ourselves over to you and we give Kyle over to you for your will to be done in each and every single one of our lives and within this ministry. And we thank you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.